Our Old Testament lesson is from Micah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. Be found on page 759 in your pew Bibles or 1452 in the large print. It's Micah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. But before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day. And we pray this morning as we are about to hear your word read and proclaimed. We're about to hear about some of the things that you are doing um, in our lives and in this world, even today. We pray that you would give us ears to hear, that you would soften our hearts, that you would, even this morning by your word and your spirit, change us into the people that you have made us to be in relationship with you through Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Should have marked my place. There it is. Micah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. Listen to what the Lord says. Stand up. Plead my case before the mountains. Let the hills hear what you have to say. Hear, you mountains, the Lord's accusation. Listen, you everlasting foundations of the earth. For the Lord has a case against his people. He is lodging a charge against Israel. My people, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Answer me. I brought you up out of Egypt. And redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you, also Aaron and Miriam. My people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, plotted, and what Balaam, son of Beor, answered. Remember your journey from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings? With calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams? With ten thousand rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Turning then to Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 22 and going on through the second verse of chapter 5 be found on page 949 in Pew Bibles, or 1818 in the large print. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, Each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. 
Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, as you know, uh, we did just get back from a mission trip to Colorado, which uh, you can see in the bulletin sermon for today is Mission Update. I'll explain more about what that means. But first, we are going to begin by getting an update on how this trip went. I do have a little slideshow uh, in a, just a little bit. So if uh, you can't see the screen when I put it up, make sure you scoot in to where you'll be able to see that properly. But before before we show the video or the slideshow, there we go. Um, I've invited Benjamin and Jonathan to come share some of uh, some of what they experienced this past week on this trip. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Hi, my name is Jonathan, and I'm 11 years old. Um, last week, my favorite part of working was um, hauling logs. That was pretty fun. Um, and my favorite thing overall was going on a really long hike. And my favorite thing spiritually was saying that verse for the people of Plotoro just to let them hear it. Okay, thank you. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Every, do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Hello, my name is Benjamin McGee, and I am 13 years old. My favorite job that I did on the mission trip was ripping the floor out of a cabin. Uh, my favorite thing that I did spiritually was memorize a very small bit of the Sermon on the Mount and hearing everyone else do the same. And my favorite thing overall was building a 15-foot-tall bonfire. Thank you. Thank you. Now that you have heard from some of the participants, I'll let you see uh, some of the rest.
There we go. So that gives you a little taste anyway of uh, how the week went and what all was accomplished. And I can assure you there was much more than would fit to the time frame of that song. But um, it's a great song, which those of you who were here for the Luke Spihar concert probably recognize that one. That is uh, Luke Spihar's song. The champion, and it was one that was definitely going through my mind over and over on those hikes that were more like you know scaling cliffs at my age. Um, and so, you know, keep singing over and over when my legs refuse to take another step. <laughs> my strength lies in you. Um, but it was also something that came back again and again as we discussed the Sermon on the Mount. I don't know if you were able to pick up on this to this point. But the Sermon on the Mount was the theme of the week, and we had decided that ahead of time and had divided it up, and the kids that came from Massachusetts, we had 10 kids come from Massachusetts, and they brought four leaders. We had two from El Dorado, two kids from El Dorado, and one leader. And then Diana and uh, Andrew and Micah were able to join us for the first half of the week and help out uh, there as well. But among those participants in uh, on the trip, we divided up the Sermon on the Mount ahead of time, and everybody memorized a part of it. And so the first night we got there... Everybody gets up and we say, you know, Saturday night, and that was the sermon for the next day at the church in Platoro was for the kids to preach the Sermon on the Mount from memory. Um, just one at a time, saying their part, sliding over the next person. 
And we got there that night, and everybody went to say their part, and there was a whole lot of, uh... <laughs> and so it was um, a little nerve-wracking for everybody, really. Um, next morning, we did it again. It a little better. We got to Platoro, the church that's uh, 19 miles away, but takes an hour to get there. And outdoor church, you saw. And uh, it was beautiful. It was beautiful. Everybody spoke clearly, without mistakes, and uh, with authority. And then we spent the rest of the week going through each of those sections every morning, every evening. And I didn't get to share yet my favorite part of the trip. But for me, my favorite thing was that because we had all heard it, that we'd heard the entire sermon three times by Saturday night and Sunday morning, we'd heard the whole thing, and then we spent the rest of the time going over it, and everybody had part of it memorized, my favorite thing is that throughout the week, things would happen and there would be, you know, somebody would be in the middle of some, some activity or a word would be said and, and somebody would quote or reference a part of the sermon, just whatever we were doing. And we all knew it. And we could all have that conversation that was an ongoing conversation throughout the week. And it was really, really neat. Um, now, one of the reasons that I think that is so neat is because it is such a great sermon. And it is for a couple of reasons. One, because of the, the content of the sermon itself is so different, especially different from a lot of sermons um, that are preached around the country or even around the world today. Also different from what was being preached back then. And secondly, because of who it was that was preaching and how different he is. Because he, as it says at the very end of the sermon, everyone was amazed because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Because all the other teachers would come and say, this is what God says. Thus saith the Lord. Or, you have heard that it was said by so-and-so else, and that's what you should do. What they say. What God says. And Jesus comes and says, you've heard that it was said, but I tell you. You have heard that it was said, but I tell you. As though he was the one who was getting to finally say, this is what has been intended from the beginning. And I am the one who is not just another teacher in a long line of teachers, but the one who is Emmanuel, God with us. And so he goes and he looks back at the Ten Commandments. He looks at the laws of Moses. and says, you've heard these before. And you have conveniently twisted them to the point that you think you're following them. And you have missed it by a mile. Let me tell you what it's really about. And so the way that he teaches is with authority. And the, and the content of what he teaches is so different than everything else, either on the religious end and on the irreligious end. The people who want nothing to do with God say, I don't care about any of that stuff. I don't know, what, you know why I would want to enter the kingdom of heaven. I don't want anything to do with that. His message is very different. But it's also different from the Pharisees who were saying, we do want to enter the kingdom of heaven, and I think we finally got it because we are following all of the rules. And Jesus says, no. In fact, he says as a part of this sermon, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. At which point everybody's jaw dropped, and they say, how in the world can our righteousness be better than theirs? They're the ones who have it. They've got it. They're the ones who are doing all the stuff. And Jesus says, no. 
And then he goes in to explaining how they've all missed it. You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. You've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery, adultery with her in his heart. You've heard that it was said, anyone who divorces wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you, anyone who divorces his wife commits adultery. You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oaths. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all. You've heard that it was said, uh, do not... No, you've heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other also. Give to the one who asks you. Do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, I was just hitting those in kind of bullet point fashion, but he goes into more detail, and I highly recommend that you read it all the way through. But he sets up very clearly, you have heard these things, and you think you know what it's about, but I'm going to tell you what it's really about, and it's about so much more, and it goes so much farther, so much deeper. It's not a surface-level thing. It's not nearly as much about what your hands are doing as the motivations of your heart. And that's where the Pharisees and the teachers of the law had it all right on the outside, apparently, but had it all wrong on the inside because they were doing it on their own strength and they were not doing it in a a communion relationship and on the strength of Jesus. That's where he goes next. He says it's not about what's on the outside, it's what's on the inside. It's about that relationship with God. And so he says, be careful not to practice your righteousness before others to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. And so when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do, I tell you they've received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And he says, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street, uh, on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. He talks about praying. And he says, and when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do. For they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. He says it one time and gives three examples. So really four times repeated. It's not about showing others what a good person you are. It's about having a relationship with God that is genuine, that is real, whether anybody else ever sees it or not. God knows, and he has that relationship with you, and that is what makes all the difference. I called this sermon Mission Update. We talked about the 
uh, mission trip we've been on. But I also see the Sermon on the Mount as kind of a mission update in itself. As God from the very beginning had given his people a mission in this world, he puts Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and says, you are to take care of it and you are to um, be fruitful and multiply and take care of the earth and spread the goodness of God all around the world. But they didn't. They turned away from him. They tried to do things on their own, and everybody did it ever since. Even when God would come and reveal himself again and again in, through his creation and through his uh, self-revelation and his word and his commandments, through all of it, through his prophets, again and again, calling his people back. And so Jesus comes, and he says, let me remind you. Let me clarify what our mission is. These are the kinds of lives that my people are to live the world will tell you something completely different. But this is what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God, not a part of the kingdoms of this world. They're very different. And so uh, he talks about not, not worrying, not storing up for yourselves treasures on earth, but storing up treasures in heaven. Don't worry about the things... Uh, that all the pagans run after. But seek first God's kingdom, his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. He tells, it reminds us not to judge. Because we all, we all have our own issues spiritually that need to be dealt with. And when we pretend like we've got nothing wrong and start going around poking the finger at everybody else. Jesus says, you hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. He says, ask, be given. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. This is why we don't need to worry, by the way. This is why all will be given to us. He reminds us that even as sinful human beings... When our kids ask for bread, we don't give them a stone. Hear much on this. He says, you guys know how to give good gifts to your children. Is it that you don't believe that your father loves you? Is it that you don't believe that he cares about you? Is it that you don't believe that he knows what's best for you? Do you not believe that he's going to give you what is best for you? Kids ask me all the time for things that are not good for them. And I'm sure we ask God all the time for things that are not good for us. But he knows what's best. Do we trust him? Do we have that relationship with him? He says there are two ways. There's the narrow road and the gate, and there's the broad road. The broad road, though, he says, leads to destruction. And many go that way. But it's a small road that leads to life, and only a few find it. He tells us later, actually, that he is the way. But for now, we see that there are two ways. And it's really easy to get caught up and carried along the broad road. Really easy. It's practically being forced on us everywhere we look. But Jesus says, don't be fooled. Stay with me. 
stay on the narrow road. It leads to eternal life. He reminds us that not everyone who claims to be a Christian is really a Christian. There are some who are teachers who are not true Christian teachers, even though they look like it on the outside. And he said there are some people who are not true Christians even though they look like it on the outside. And they will even say, didn't we do these things? And he'll say, I I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. And so it seems that even the acts that they do that seem so good on the outside, apart from a relationship with him, are works of evil. He concludes the sermon by saying that everyone who hears the words that he has preached and actually does them, actually does them, is like the wise man who built his house on the rock. So that when all the rain and the floods and the storms come, the house stands. The life lasts. He says, the one who hears the words that he preaches and they don't actually do them, they just hear them in one ear out the other. It's like the man who builds his house on sand. When the storms come, the house collapses. Now, you may have noticed I actually skipped uh, the first part of this sermon. He doesn't begin by showing the distinction between um, what people have heard about the law and what it really is about. He actually begins with what we call the Beatitudes. The blessed are the so-and-sos, for they will such and such. And every one of those is so backwards from the world's point of view that many people have called the kingdom of God the upside-down kingdom probably more accurately called the right-side-up kingdom. Because everything in this world from the time that Adam and Eve took the fruit has been upside down. And Jesus has come to put it back right again. And he says, here's the thing. It's those who are poor in spirit that are blessed. Because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And everybody hears that and says, I don't think that's right. It's not the poor. Definitely not the poor in spirit who are who are blessed, those are the ones that are cursed by God. Otherwise, they would be wealthy. They would be rich. They would be full in spirit. How could they be blessed? This is blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And we say, no, you can't be blessed if you're mourning. If you're mourning, that means that there's something that you have lost, that you are grieving, that you are suffering. Those people aren't blessed. Surely if they were being blessed by God, he would have kept them. He would have kept them from that grief. He would have spared them somehow. Jesus says, no. Those are the people who are blessed. Because they will be comforted. And on and on, through all of them, we see the same pattern going on, which is this. The people who realize that all they have is God are those who are blessed. Those who are trying to take the reins of life in their own hands and refuse to let God get his hand on there. Say, no, I got this. You know, you just give me some advice every once in a while, I'll be good. Those are the people that are not blessed. Those are the people who are on the road to destruction, whether they know it or not. But Jesus says, the people who realize, I can't do this. I, I don't have it in me to do the things that God requires. And I am 
in pain because of the things that are going wrong in this world. My only hope is Jesus. He says, there you go. You are the one who is blessed. Now you've got it. And he says, in fact, when, when this is where you are, there will be people who will be treating you badly because of it. And you say, no, if I were really getting it right, everybody would like me, and everybody would approve of what I was saying and doing. He says, no, no, no. Now, when you're really following me, there will be people who will persecute you, who will insult you, who will falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. He says, when that happens, rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven from the same way they persecuted the prophets who are before you. This kingdom is completely backwards from the rest of the world, which is why he says, you are. This is talking about those people who have these blessings, who realize that Jesus is all we have to put our hope and our trust and our faith in. He says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You are what makes a difference in all the rest of it. Because there are so many who are going the wrong way and who make it look like the kingdom of God is upside down. He said, you are the ones who show the difference. You are the ones who show it by your life, by your dependence on me. And when you do that, not like the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who love to pray standing up and drawing attention to themselves and giving generously and making sure that their name is plastered all over, whatever it is. Not like that. But he says, when you are really just doing it, not for yourself, when you're doing it for me, and people will see what you're doing, and they will glorify your Father in heaven. And that's where it all comes together. Because that is the mission, and that has been the mission from the beginning. To live lives with God and for his glory. When we turn away from that, we find nothing but pain. And not just pain in the sense of, this hurts presently. We find pain in the sense of, nothing I do matters. But when we have the relationship with God, when we understand our mission with him, the things that we do, not uh, for the approval of others, but just with and for God, understanding his kingdom plan, operating in his strength, we go through pain, but it doesn't take us over. He walks with us through it, and we know we come out the other side. We don't end in destruction, we end in life. And every bit of pain ends up being either erased, undone, as Tim Keller says, all the sad things will come untrue, or better yet, redeemed redeemed and made into something beautiful that could not have been gotten any other way. One of the things we noticed on this trip, we talked through this whole sermon, like I say, every day, multiple times through the day. And one of the things we noticed is at the end of the week, we had high school kids, some middle school kids, who had given up a week of their summer who had paid good money to go work somewhere for someone else. They weren't getting paid for it. They had to pay to do it. 
They left their video games. They left their sports at home. They left their families and friends. And they went to go work. And what did they get for their troubles? They got sunburned. They got sore muscles from head to toe. They got bruises. They got scratches and scrapes. One kid actually got a nail gun through the finger. But he's okay. One kid actually came with a stress fracture in his back that has him in constant pain. He finds out, I think this coming week, whether he's going to be having surgery. And yet he came, and he worked. One girl found out uh, last Monday, or Monday before last, so five days before the trip, that she was having acute appendicitis and had to have her appendix out immediately. She lives in Massachusetts. She called her youth leader, crying from the hospital, and said, I'm really afraid they're not going to let me go to Colorado. (laughs) And he's, that's understandable. (laughs) He gets on the phone with her mom, and her mom says, I think she really wants to go, and I I think if she's well enough, I'm going to let her. So please pray that she's well enough. And she came. And she was in pain. She was not allowed to lift anything, which made you know the mission trip a little strange place to be. But she worked in the kitchen, and she cooked and helped cook very delicious meals for everyone there. But this is what, this is what everybody got. They paid money, they traveled a great distance to go and work for somebody else without getting paid, and all they got for it was physical pain. In one way or another, everybody got it. And when you make that kind of sales pitch to somebody, hey, I have an idea. Why don't you give up a week of your fun time and come have a miserable time working hard till you hurt bad and you just barely can crawl into bed at night and fall asleep. What do you say? You in? Oh, did I mention it's expensive? (laughs) Who signs up for that? But you know what we found? Is at the end of the, uh, the end of the week, we were talking about what kind of week this had been. Nobody mentioned their sunburns, or their pains, or anything of that nature. Everyone talked about how it had been one of the greatest weeks of their life because they were experiencing the blessing of what it means to join with God and with his people in his mission, serving just for him. That hopefully this camp that we saw some pictures of, that's already very beautiful, naturally beautiful, will be a place that, um, where people can come and either meet Jesus for the first time or get to know him better while they're there, just as we did even while we were working on it. Now, That being said, I certainly don't want you to feel like the mission, you know, if you're going to join God on his mission, that means you have to go to Colorado to do that. That is not right. Because he has plenty for us to do right here. The question is, are we going to join with him? Are we going to live with him and walk with him and relate to him in everything? That we would be the salt and the light here in El Dorado and wherever we are. That people would see our good deeds, not to glorify us, not that we would draw attention to ourselves, but that God would be glorified through it all as people understand the work that he's doing in our lives and in this world to turn things right side up again 
in and through Jesus. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.